You know, as a pastor, there are certain things you do that could get you in trouble. And you have to be very wise when doing them, because you don't want to get in trouble. So I need a volunteer. Now, wait a minute before everybody steps up. This could be very dangerous, okay? And so I don't, I don't need somebody living in Kansas. I need somebody outside of Kansas. Matter of fact, preferably outside the country. Um, I understand the lawsuits are different out of the country. So pastors can be protected if they call on the right person. Holly, come here. Whatever you do, do not drink this, okay? Do not drink this, okay? Like you take that, I'd like you to pour it into this cup. Ow. Okay, stop there. That's, that's fine. Very good, very good. Give me that. Take that. Now, without drinking, do not drink it, okay? Just don't. Drink it. Did I say don't drink it? Okay, good. Can you tell me what's in the cup? What the liquid is? It looks like coffee. It looks like coffee. Okay, good. What else can you determine about the liquid? It smells like coffee. It smells like coffee. So you're saying coffee smells a certain way, mm -hmm. and you recognize that smell as being coffee. Okay. Um, now, this is a trick question, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, can you have coffee not in a coffee cup? Sure. How? You can have it in a, some other cup that's not for coffee. <laughs> okay, but if you put it in that, wouldn't you then call that a coffee, a coffee cup? cup? Okay, but anyway... You, you really can't separate the coffee from the coffee cup, can you? Yeah. Okay, well, I don't know, I'm asking you. <laughs> um, and, and most coffee will smell like what you smell from that mm -hmm. cup, right? Can you take another smell, just, just make sure? You're pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. You're 75% sure. <laughs> That's coffee. 90% sure? I would say it's probably not great coffee. Oh, well, you know. Okay, fine. Fine. But you think that's coffee, and you're determining that by how it looks and how it smells. Okay, so you're making a, a diagnosis. Medical term there. <laughs> a diagnosis that that liquid is coffee. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Go sit down. No, I don't want that. Take your Bibles and turn to every sermon we preached in 2019. 
because today is the State of the Union talk, okay? We've done this every year that I've been here. The first Sunday of the year is the State of the Union. So, what we're going to cover is everything that's happened in the last year, which is a large number of sermons and Bible studies. And we're going to cover what's going to happen this next year, which will be a lot of sermons and Bible studies. And we'll give you a taste of what's going to be in the future. Then we're going to talk about how we're going to apply all the sermons from last year to your life and how you can apply all the sermons this year to your life. And we're going to figure out the state of our union. You ready? You ready? You awake. Here we go. State of the Union. <sighs> Tough crowd. 2019. 2019. What did we learn in 2019? Well, most of the year we were in the book of Romans. And we did very well. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We got through most of chapter 1 and most of chapter 2. So we did good. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Now you remember Romans chapter 2 because it wasn't that long ago. Romans chapter 1 dealt with the gospel. And then the end of chapter 1 dealt with sinners who were wicked sinners. They were outwardly showing their sin. You could see them by their actions that they are sinners. Then we got to chapter 2. Chapter 2 was talking about sinners, but it was talking about a different type of sinner. We called him a moral sinner. A moral sinner. A sinner that looked good on the outside, did good things, and on the inside was a sinner, just like chapter 1. So we had two types of sinners, a wicked sinner and a moral sinner. And they, they seemed to be the same according to Paul. Now, look at verse 5. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What happens when a sinner applies the law to his life? We learned this. We'll go quickly through this because you remember this. Yes, thank you. First thing we see here is that the moral sinner will not... What's the word? Repent. repent. A moral sinner will not repent. He thinks he's a good person. He does good things. He cooks cookies for good people. And he helps good people across the road. He does all these good things. He must be good. Therefore, he is good and he is pleased, pleasing God by his goodness. That's what he thinks. But there's no repentance. There's no relationship with God. And there's no relationship with Jesus Christ. He just thinks he's good. 
We're going to go quickly, by the way. That's why the insert just has blanks this morning. You're not going to have time to write too much, except a word. First thing, the moral sinner will not repent. He will not do anything to show his sinfulness. He will not repent. Repentance is being truly sorry about your sin against God and stop doing it and put all your hope and confidence and obedience in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not do that. Second, what happens when the sinner applies law to his life? Second, the moral sinner will daily add to his personal wrath to God. God has an account and it's holding back his wrath with his patience and kindness, and he's holding it back, and he's storing it up, and one day, that moral good person, along with the wicked sinner, will be judged. But right now, everything he does is evil, and everything he does is storing up wrath, because God's standards are not being applied to good people. So he is in trouble. He is storing up continual daily action, storing up wrath. He, God has a patience dam that his wrath is being built up against. And one day, the person is going to stand before a holy God and be held accountable. Third, what happens when a sinner applies the law to his life? The moral sinner will reject the truth of God. The moral sinner will reject the truth of God. The revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Revelation talks about revealing, uh, revealing the righteousness of God. And that's what creation does, chapter 1. That's what the law does, chapter 2. And all of this shows the righteousness of God. And the good person thinks he's good and doesn't need the righteousness of God and doesn't believe the revelation of the righteousness of God, and therefore is doomed and storing up wrath. That is primarily the thing we learned last year. And every time we went to Romans, we learned a little bit more about the wrath of God and wicked sinners and moral sinners and how they smell differently. They smell just a little differently. Here we go. 2020. I believe it's in June. We're going to get to this passage in June. Turn to chapter 3. Chapter 3. We'll give you a little taste because you'll forget everything by June. And I'll expand upon this in June. Chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 21. What will we learn in 2020 in the book of Romans? Matter of fact, we'll be in the book of Romans the entire year. Verse 21, Romans 3. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, the Law and the Prophets tell you a little bit about the righteousness of God. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. 
for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is Christ Jesus. Now, this is a great verse. 21, 22, and 23, and 24. But I want you to notice verse 22. Look at verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith. In other words, you get to understand and completely identify with the righteousness of God so that you are declared righteous by a holy God. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, first off, number one, all sinners who have saving faith will be declared righteous. Now, we're going to talk about pastuo. Pastuo is the Greek word translated faith. Do you see it? Righteousness of God through faith. You get righteousness of God through faith, pastuo. It's an act of trusting. You trust God's promises and you receive God's righteousness. You get changed. Now, chapter 1, you got the wicked sinner. Chapter 2, you get the moral sinner. In chapter 3, here you have the sinner that is declared righteous. By the way, the sinner declared righteous smells a little bit different. A little bit different. But you have to have saving faith. If you do not believe, if you do not have faith, you are not righteous. You have to be saved. You cannot be wicked sinner and be saved. You cannot be moral sinner and be saved. You be saved, and you're declared righteous. We're going to have fun when we get here in June. Second, how can a sinner be declared righteous? There's the next occurrence of pastuo. For all those who believe, all those who believe, pastuo is written a second time. The only difference between the first time and the second time is the first time is a noun, the second time is a verb. So the English translators change it for you so you see that it's different. Faith is the noun. Believe is the verb. All sinners who have living faith, believing, will be declared righteous. Believing is present tense every day. You wake up and you believe the promises of God. You believe the promises of God and you are declared righteous every day. Every day you declare faith in God. God declares you righteous. Every day. Faith is a verb. Faith is a noun. You have saving faith once. You have living faith every day. And when you are saved, you are declared righteous. When you live by faith, you're declared righteous. Are you with me still? Here you go. Third, 
How can a sinner be declared righteous? Third, notice the end of the verse 23, or actually beginning of verse 24. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. All sinners who have been justified will be declared righteous. Will be declared righteous. Justification here, he's talking about saving faith. He's talking about one-time activity of being justified. You have to be justified in order to be declared righteous. You have to live by faith to be declared righteous. You have to be saved by faith to be declared righteous. You believe and you live and you are justified. And those three things have to happen. And when those three things happen, you smell differently. You smell differently. Justification is a judicial declaration by God that a believer is righteous. It comes from the same word grouping as righteousness does. Justified. You're just by God the Father who does the work because He's the just and the justifier. Now, that's last year and that's this year. All year we're going to be talking about, <laughs> well, we're going to finish up talking about being a sinner, and then we're going to talk about justification. And we'll talk about justification the rest of the year. You're going to know so much about justification, you'll want to not know anymore. You're going to be justifiable <laughs> with justification. We're going to get into it deep. And you'll be so happy we did. Now, that's last year, that's this year. What state of the union are we in? Okay. I got another verse to go to. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We're going to go quickly because it's got nine points to it. And I have seven minutes to do it in. Okay. We're going to go quick. So all you're going to have time is to write one word in the blank space and we'll go. I'm going to share with you why you smell differently. You ever uh, play with the uh, gum that usually came in the magic kits? And the gum looks like gum, but you put it in your mouth, it tastes like dirt. You remember that? You remember that? That was a great gum. Am I the only one? That was a good gum. It tastes like dirt. It was great. <clears throat> when I was single, I was a Fabaris. And I needed help with the women folk. So I bought the most expensive cologne I could. It was called English leather. It was cool. And it smelled good. And I'd get it, and every morning after I take my shower, I would put it in places where Fabaris's don't normally smell good. And it would help me with the women folk. Then I got engaged, and I got married, and I stopped using it because I was married. So I didn't need it anymore. 
so I don't have it anymore. But it made me smell desirable and good and good enough to attract a woman. And it worked. So single guys, get cologne. Go ahead. You need it. Here we go. Some colognes may make you smell like dirt. And I'm going to show you the difference between between smelling like dirt and smelling good. Okay? When you're given a cup of coffee and you think it's coffee, it's always good to smell it. Because smell, coffee smells distinct, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> smells unique. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You smell unique. How do I know? Because 2 Corinthians tells me so. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Verse 14. This is how we know the people that smell like dirt and the people that smell good. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma. That stands for smelling. There is sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. In other words, in every place, God wants people to smell good. God wants them to smell good, and it happens through the gospel. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you smell good, because you get changed from a wicked moral sinner to a believer who is righteous. And when you're a believer that's righteous, you smell differently because you have the sweet smell of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it so invades you that it comes out of you. The passage here is talking about evangelism. This year, we need to do a better job of evangelism. And the first thing you got to do, there's nine of them, comes in this verse. First word, but. Things have been going on in Paul's life that are a problem. Things are going on in Paul's life that are hardships. Things aren't perfect. But Paul says, but. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphant in Christ. What will make a daily evangelistic method for a believer? Number one, a believer will praise God even the bad days. Even the bad days. When you're praising God, when you're having a bad day, non-believers notice because that's not normal. The best evangelistic method you could have this year is to praise God, be happy on the bad days because you will stand out. In this society we live in, everybody's bad, mad, mean, angry, because they're going through bad days. You go through a bad day, and you smile, you'll smell differently. 
and they'll want to know why you're smiling. And you say, it's because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Number two, what makes up my evangelistic method? A believer will live as if he should be dead, but is still alive. A believer will live as if he should be dead, but is still alive. A believer will live as if he should be dead, but is alive. You go, whoa, pastor, where do you get that from? The little phrase that says, leads us in triumph. Leads us in triumph. The Romans had a very interesting parade they did. The parade happened when they won a war. They would go back to Rome. They had a parade. They had it written down how to march in the parade. Here's how you march in a parade. The very head of the parade would be trumpeters, and all the spoils of war would be first. Everything they won in battle or captured or controlled or brought, the cases of money, the cases of whatever, they would have the first thing in the parade after the trumpeters. Second, came the flute players ahead of the white oxen that were going to be sacrificed in the temples. Then, the next thing would include would be the prisoners. The bigger the prisoner, the higher place in line he would be. The best fighter who, who, who lost would be in front. The king who lost would be in front. The guys that were good average fighters would be in the middle. The slaves that did terrible fighting would be in the back. Then would come the conquering warrior. He would have a special chariot, and he would come in. He would have a, a, an ivory scepter crowned with an eagle. He would have a slave standing behind him holding a crown over his head in the parade, and he would go through the streets. And they would go to Capitol Hill and leading the captives and the conquering warriors, and they would get everybody together and they would kill them. They'd start with the king and kill him. Then the best warrior and kill him. Then the weak slave warrior, kill him. And then they sacrifice the oxen to their gods. And they would burn incense. And that incense, you would know because you would smell it. And if you were on the good side of the conqueror, that smell would mean party. But if you were a slave or a warrior or a king that lost the battle, that would, you smell that, you would know you were going to die. Same smell, different reaction. Same smell, different reaction. Leads us in triumph in Christ. Paul viewed himself and other believers as... By the way, behind the emperor would come his army. <laughs> so a lot of people read this and they think Paul's talking about believers being the army. And I don't think that's correct. 
I think the believers are the captives. The believers are the captives who deserve to die. Why do we deserve to die? Because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we deserve to die for that one sin. We deserve an eternal place forever because of that one sin. But because of the conquering warrior, we don't. We don't go to the gallows. We become a co-heir with Christ. Do you understand? You should die. But because the king warrior, he said, let him live. Let him be a co-heir with me. Give him a place of honor. Let him be called child of God. Jesus is our great commander-in-chief. He came to a foreign place and fought a battle against Satan. And won, by the way. And he led out of that place where he went captives. And out of that place, we came with him as a captive. And we'll be taken to his home one day and we'll be set free because of our belief in Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. We deserve death, but Jesus gives us grace. Third, verse 14, Thanks be to God, always leads us in triumph, and manifests through us a sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Number three, a believer will leave as if he smells different because he knows Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, you will be saved by Jesus Christ, you will have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that will make you smell different. The Holy Spirit comes inside you and dwells in you, and you will be a different person. You may say you've been born again. You were a captive to sin, but now you're a slave to righteousness. God has moved you from the place you deserve to a place of grace. And you smell differently. By the way, guess what your job will be forever and ever? Not only to thank your commander-in-chief, but to tell everybody you come in contact with about His grace. You smell differently because you know Jesus Christ. Verse 15, For we are in a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. What will make the daily evangelistic out of an obedient believer? Number four, a believer will live as if he smells acceptable to God, the Father. You want to smell good to God. The only way to smell good to God, the Father, is by being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, being in the grace of Jesus Christ, having the commander-in-chief accept you, not as a slave of the enemy, but as his co-heir. You spread that aroma wherever you go. You've been accepted by God the Father. You smell differently than a wicked sinner and a moral sinner. You smell good. You smell great. You smell different. Verse 16. 
To one, the aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? What will make up a daily evangelistic method for an obedient believer? Number five, a believer will live as if he smells different to dead people. You go out and witness this year. You share your gospel message. You share the power of God, what God's grace has done for you, how you are no longer a captive to sin, how you are free by the grace of God. You go out there and tell people you will not have a positive effect on somebody because there will be wicked sinners and moral sinners and they will not like the smell of you because you will smell different. And you will not smell good to them. Because you will smell like death to them. You understand? You'll smell like death to them. They'll smell like they are recognized their captives and headed towards an eternal death. <laughs> they will think that this just reminds them that they have offended a holy God. And God is going to judge them. They know it, they think it, and they look forward to that. No, they try to get it out of their mind. And all your smell does is remind them. And for others, it'll be an aroma from life to life. Your smell will bring life to somebody else. Just by being an obedient believer. You will smell good to people and they'll want to know why. Because they want to be saved. They realize they're a captive and they're headed towards an eternal death. They want to be out of there. They want to make amends with the mighty commander. You want to be saved. And all you do is share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 17. <clears throat> For we are not like many peddling the word of God but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Number six, a believer will live and give you the pure truth of God no matter what. When you go out and witness, all you have to do is repeat what the commander says. All you got to do is repeat what God says. You do it in a kind, loving way, but you give them the truth. You're sincere with them. You're not crooked with them. You're honest with them. You're pure with them. You give them the truth. You're a prisoner. But there's a way out. There's grace from the conquering king. You can be saved. Seven. A believer will live as having been commissioned by God, but as from God. <laughs> you have a mission from God. We're all on a mission this year. The mission is not from your pastor. It's not from your elders. It's not from your deacons. It's not from the ushers. It's from God. He wants you to go smell differently in other places. By the way, it doesn't matter how you smell here. How smell in the community, that's what matters. How you smell at your workplace, how you smell there, that's what matters. 
You are commissioned by God to go smell. And you please God by smelling like an obedient believer. That's seven. Eight. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. Eight. A believer will live as having been given authority from Jesus Christ. We speak in Christ. We speak from Christ. We speak Christ's words. We tell them about Christ. We tell them about the battle he had with Satan. We tell them about the victory he won through his death on on the cross. We talk about the resurrection. We talk about our Savior. All you got to do is talk about your Savior. And your smell (laughs) and your Savior will change a life. You've been told, you've been given authority. You're in Christ. You, a co-heir with the commander-in-chief. You share what he does with others. And you'll be an obedient believer in 2020. Ninth. What will make a daily evangelistic obedient believer? Nine. A believer will live knowing that God the Father is watching. Look at the end of the verse. In the sight of God. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. You are never alone when you're witnessing. You're never alone when, you're, when your smell is going out. You're never alone. <clears throat> you're always with God. God is always with you. He's always with you. He knows He knows when somebody says, you smell differently. And you shake it off and say, nah, no, I'm not. I'm just like you. He's there. When you are sharing about Jesus Christ, He's also there. He's also working. He's always working. Matter of fact, he's working to bring in the meetings with these people who notice you smell different and want to know why. They, God brings them to you. And all you got to do is tell them about Jesus Christ. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. All you got to do. Application. Well, I work with God in 2020 so that when He leads me to divine appointments with non-believers, I share the simple gospel message. I share the simple gospel message. The simple gospel message. Uh, I got an article this week from the Wall Street Journal. It was a good article. I liked it. Let me share with you what I learned. It's talking about Christmas. And the gap between young kids and their parents and their view of church and Christmas. A recent Pew study found that about half the baby boomers attend services at least once a month. So the older adults go to church. Where more than 40% of the millennium seldom or never attend church. So their children don't go. So it brings conflict to the family. One son 
Luke, he's 25, lives 30 miles away from his parents, won't go to church. Why? His wife is an atheist, feels out of place. They have two children, one and three. They hate to sound lazy, but it's difficult to get the kids out of bed and ready. Honestly, I feel awkward in church. I kind of feel like I'm spending Christmas hanging out with my family. I, he said, I prefer praying on my own. Here's another family. They attend church on Christmas Eve. They've always done it. It's always been a tradition. Now the kids are growing up. They're not going. Valerie and Randy, their four daughters, <laughs> went to the 530 Mass at the Catholic Church in their hometown where the parish priest always gives the same sermon about a man whose goose gets stood out in the rain rather than going into a shed and seeking shelter. So they go, I'm tired of going to the same service and hearing the same sermon every year. It's been the same every year. I don't want to go. Here's another one. Another daughter. Valerie says she's made her peace with uh, their decisions. I feel like my kids have a real strong sense of social justice. They're all good, decent people. By the way, it sounds like the morally sinners. Hmm, interesting. They're all good, decent people. I can't ask for more than that. Being judgmental and bitter won't make anyone get closer to God. I wrote my notes down so I wouldn't forget how I read this the first time. One, they think about a ritual being true spiritual meaning. They think a ritual is a true spiritual thing. It's not. It's not. All they were talking about is rituals they did every year. Christmas is a ritual with no truth. If you don't give the truth of the Christmas, then there's all it is is a ritual. Three, there's no connection to their life. And everything about Christmas is a connection to your life. Four, there's no mention of the gospel message or salvation at all in the article. I don't even think the author knows that salvation is a part of the gospel, Christmas message. Five, the children see no true smell of Jesus Christ and victory. <laughs> Zing. That was a good one, I think. Let me read it again, in case you were sleeping. Here it comes. The children see no true smell of Jesus Christ and victory. They hear death and they smell only death. And that's not anything to go to. And if I was just smelling death, I wouldn't go to any church anyway. But we need to hit the people where they're at. And then we need to share our smell with them, share the gospel message with them, simple gossip, gospel message, because they haven't heard the truth. So you got to be slow and share the simple message. And then, after time, you invite them to church. Then after time, you invite them to Wednesday night small group. Then after time, you get them to Sunday night Bible study. And then after time, we have no parking spots in our church anymore. Because you went out and smelled different. Father, I pray that you would help us all to smell like the righteousness of God, 
that we would have that victorious aroma that comes with being a person on death row, but then saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would work in all of our lives so that in 2020 we would live a life that causes people to want to know Jesus Christ because of the words we share, the reasons we live, and the decisions we make. Pray, Father, you would help us to change the world this year for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen.